Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. First round, knockout, he went down and slept. And when they put away my hand wraps, it was swollen and painful. The Thai people said, oh, no, no, no problem. Now you come back on Monday, train again and fight next Saturday. And there was a good friend of mine, a foreigner. He was like, no, look at your hand. I drive you to the hospital. We went there, x-ray broken. Okay, out for three months. That's today's guest talking about one of his Muay Thai fights that ended with his opponent KO and him unable to fight for three months. While he went into the ring again after this injury, it was in the end one hell of a kick that sent him out of the ring for good. Like in the last episode, I'm joined again by my co-host Greg from Bangkok Podcast and Greg to Defer. He took some time off from life and work to join me in interviewing one of the top tier private trainers in Bangkok. Join us to find out how this little boy with a name that didn't quite fit went from a small Swiss village to Thailand's capital making sure the CEOs in the big city stay fit. You will be entertained by my co-host, Greg Jorgensen, and me, that's Karsten Eichholz. But most of the entertainment will come from our guest, Jamal. Jamal. I am a personal trainer and work for the Aspire Club here in Bangkok. Jamal. And I'm very excited to be here. I can't stop saying Jamal. Why? If someone is named Jamal, I don't know, I expect it to be like in a movie after 11 p.m. Maybe I am in certain movies after 11 p.m., who knows? Wait a second. You know Rocky, like who was that? Sylvester Stallone, right? Yeah. He was in... The Italian Stallion. But you're not the Italian Stallion, you're the Swiss... I don't know. No, I'm not the Italian Stallion. Maybe I wish I would be, but I'm not. Okay, so you're the Swiss... Um, what's, a, what's a funny thing? Uh, Swiss Miss? No, that's not right. So, it's terrible. It's better than my name, the Canadian Bacon. The Canadian bacon. That's awesome. So we're here with the Swiss stallion, Jamal. Jamal is, uh, as he said, a personal trainer. What does, it, what does that entail? Like, do you like, and one, and two, and three? Mm, to a certain degree, I may do that, but I try not to be like the army guy. Because most of my clients are smart enough and can count to five or ten or twelve by their own. Most of my clients. Most of my clients, for sure. But you, I, I mean, you're Swiss, right? Yes. So you count in your head to check, right? In English language, by the way, yes, I do. So you're like, mm-hmm. so you know, you know when they're like, oh, I have 10. No, you don't. <laughs> Mostly I don't, I'm honestly. So, I mean, is that, is that more like positive reinforcement? Like, you can do it, you can do it. Or is it more like negative? Like, you piece of lazy, no. Positive is way better for sure. Oh man, I was I always dreamed of making a video as like this German drill sergeant. You have to do this harder. No, no, no. You have to be nice to the people also. How much of personal training? Um, I, would you say it's like a 50-50 breakdown between like motivation and inspiration, or 50% on the physical, 50% on the mental? How do you break it down? I think first when I started, I only was interested in the physical part and I realized very quick that that's that's a mistake so these days I try I'm way more also on the like mental side of motivation and inspiration because I may not be the perfect role model in terms of physical strength or anything but I think I can be a good role model in combining a crazy lifestyle with the health benefits of training 
and the good nutrition. Whoa, crazy lifestyle. In terms of what I've done so before, like eating carbs, like eating carbs all the time. I honestly don't care about my personal nutrition so much. Because I work a lot, so I burn lots of calories and can pretty much eat whatever I want. That's a personal training method I can get behind. I myself am a pizzatarian, okay. a carbitarian really. So yeah, all, all pizza all the time. You can do that with the right amount of physical exercise, it may work. The right amount, eh? a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a problem, right? I, the problem with people like me, which is the average person that doesn't really work out a lot, is that you, you run for four kilometers and think like, oh, okay, I can eat a pizza now. When in fact, you've burned like 150 kilometers or 150 calories on the treadmill. Then you have a 7,000 calorie pizza. That, the, the math doesn't really work out. The math doesn't work like that. You run four kilometers? Well, run, I mean, walk fast, you know. I think he don't believe you. I think, I think he has this general, I think Greg has this general theoretical concept of running four kilometers and the calories it might entail. Oh, did I say kilometers? Sorry, I meant 40 meters. <laughs> I know, we use the metric system, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, sometimes I get those numbers mixed up. Okay, but actually, back to our guest here, um, Jamal. Oh, man, I love that, Jamal. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's Arabic, right? Yes. Oh, man, I, I, th- I thought, I thought J- Arabic names are always like these harsh-sounding names, but no, Jamal. I think they are more, like, beautiful-sounding, maybe. Oh, okay. And maybe, it, it, in my case, at least. But let's, let's, let's rewind a bit. Okay, okay. You, you grew up in Switzerland, right? Yes. So uh, you're Swiss? I am, by passport and by mom, at least. And I don't know my real father. So you, um, do you have, like, Swiss traits? Do you like, are you, like, a good, are you, good, like, a good bookkeeper? And can you keep secrets? I have some, at least. But I'm Swiss. I was really, like, grown up, the Swiss style. But they always thre- treat me as I'm not from Switzerland. So it was kind of weird. And I never really had the identity to where I'm really from. I come from outside Zurich, like a smaller place. So a small place outside a smaller place. A small place outside <laughs> a smaller place, exactly. And obviously people in Switzerland are pretty racist. That's still until these days. Obviously. Obviously, very obviously. We might have to edit here. Um, <laughs> okay, but uh, you, you, you experienced it as... Yeah, yeah. You know, not very strong. So I was this like Swiss kid with a just lit, not really Swiss look and name. But I was from there and I didn't know anything else. And I was super Swiss in terms of the way I am, punctual, all that kind of stuff. And um, so you felt a bit excluded when you grew up or... I would just say I didn't really know where I was from. Huh. Do you feel now you know where you're from? I think these days it's way, at least in German-speaking areas, it's way cooler if you are not actually from the country where you're from. I mean, when you listen to music and all the big stars in Germany, like the hip-hop stars, they never German and all that kind of stuff. So these days it doesn't really matter anymore. But I don't care about nationalities and all that stuff anyway. And so you were born in, can I say that? In 1983? Yes. And in 1989, you saw him. Him. 
the, the strong guy from Belgium, I think, correct? Belgian? I don't know. Like, I think so. You mean the Brussels from Muscles? Mus muscles from Brussels? <laughs> yeah, obviously they are. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I got confused with Brussels sprouts there because, you know, you eat the vegetables, you get strong. So I think that guy ate his veg. Well, he might not have. No, no he did. He did for sure. Vegetables? Between the protein powder? Everything. He, okay. I guess he ate everything. Okay, so he ate everything and he made a movie called... In German, it's called Karate Tiger Part 3. But originally in English, the kickboxer, so it has nothing to do with each other. Karate Tiger Part 3. Exactly. Like they skipped the first two parts. No, it, in Germany, they made a random franchise out of different movies which had nothing to do originally with each other in English so that was as far as I remember correctly Retreat and Surrender Part 1 Part 2 so they were translated as Karate Tiger 1 and 2 and then the kickboxer was Karate Tiger 3 up until Karate Tiger 10 but I can't remember anything how do you say Karate Tiger in German? Karate Tiger it's not as frightening as I thought it would be it is a little bit like imagine he would have played a nurse Krankenschwester. Krankenschwester. <laughs> no, I don't speak that much German anymore. It's a pity. So you saw the you saw Jean-Claude Van Damme in the kickboxer. Um, the thing is like I feel like the only time where I can admit to having seen Jean-Claude Van Damme is in the Volvo commercial. Come uh, on, he was in all the badass movies when I was a kid, man. Yeah, we, we, we deny that now. Like, oh wait, I think Greg. He agrees. Yeah, my friends and I used to watch all of his movies. You know, you know how he got his start in Hollywood? No. He, uh, there's a very famous um, Israeli producer in Hollywood. His name is Menahan Golan. And he, he was like the king of the B-movie, B action B-movies. And Jean-Claude Van Damme saw him outside of a restaurant one time. And he went up and introduced himself. And he did a, like a spinning kick. And his foot came within like an inch of Menahan Golan's nose. And the guy was like, you're in my next movie. And that's how he got... I think, I think, Bloodsport was his first one. Was his Bloodsport is very very famous. Yeah, yeah Bloodsport and the Kumite Adventure, Karate Tiger Part 18. Okay, okay, I get it. <laughs> wow, I mean, he come within like within centimeters or inches or moments of his face. That's a really really cool story. No, huh? I wonder. I wonder if he missed like. <laughs> Knock out. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. And there's some martial arts guys who actually hit hard in their movies not saying that Jean-Claude Van Damme does but <laughs> anyway so but um, I mean you were six years old you didn't quite then decide to become a martial arts movie star no but I was constantly talking about that I will oh man your mom must have loved that I watched that movie like 200 times maybe and I mean there was no Back then, no martial art possibility where I was. It was outlawed. It was just that there was just nothing. Just playing football, soccer, all the time. So you just got a lot of red cards. For, for, for the Actually American not. listeners here, that means if you, like, you know, if you hurt someone on purpose. Actually not, because I was more like the skinny, weak kid, and I knew that doing martial art may change everything. That's what I was talking about, because then I can be like the guy going to the movie, like the guy in the movie training with the Mr. Miyagi-style teacher and being just super badass. And you decided one day, one day I will see the real Mr. Miyagi. 
Yeah, but that day when that was a few years in between, that day should have come maybe a little bit earlier. So, but first, um, you embarked on a different career path. Yeah, I did my normal school years in Switzerland, and when the school was over, I didn't really know what to do. So I did another. Well, that's rare. <laughs> so I did another kind of in-between school year where they send all the kids who don't really know what they want to do. And in that year, I actually got a few... I knew I wanted to do an apprenticeship. And there I got a few opportunities. I was big into sports then, so I wanted to be in a shop selling sports equipment. And I actually got a job, but that meant I had to work on Saturday. And... I got a second offer. Horrible. <laughs> exactly. And I got a second offer from another place, which was also a little bit higher, and it would have been working in an office Saturday off. And everybody thought you have to take this one anyway, because it's a better, a better apprenticeship than the other one, and the Saturday off sounds really good, because all my friends had Saturday off, so I did that one. Three years. And you apprenticed to not the real Mr. Miyagi, but to um, um, Mr. Gates? Not really. I had no idea what was going on in that company because it was very complex. Power products they produced. And I was more like an assistant from the assistant's assistant, something like that. That's a lot of assistants in a row. Like, so, I mean, in Thailand, if you're like the assistant of the assistant of the assistant, you're the guy getting coffee. No, 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 no. It was a serious thing. It was a massive company. We were uh, around 100, how we call it, apprentices or something per year. Mm -hmm. So what's different what, jobs, office, you, and what does it what does it entail? Like, I mean, apprentice. You like? I, I'm not sure in Germany. I mean, I know what it's like in Germany, but in the US, I guess you assume you're this goldsmith apprentice in medieval times like what's an office apprentice you go to school two days per week and three days you sit in the office with a person responsibility for you and you kind of learn how to work there step by step and you still go to school for three years and have more and more knowledge about accounting economy etc so this happens after you kind of graduate from school. Exactly. That's and really, really normal. That's a really normal standard in Switzerland to do that. That's a big thing. Everybody does it. So you do. You spend two days in the company, uh, two days in school. Exactly. Continuing your education in three days, like getting experience about import, export, exactly, act taxes and exactly. Accounting. I okay. have to change every six months. In the company, so you're six months you are with the accountant lady, six months you are with us in the in sales, and so on. And you're like, wow, this is so much fun. No, it's more like wow, it is so fucking boring. But I knew you I have Saturdays to, off. <laughs> I had to finish it because I wanted to have a degree. It was it was really not easy for me to find a job because. Because of my name, because they thought I come from somewhere and can't speak German or something like that. So when I got this really good one, I had to take it and I had to finish it. We we're no talking about the chance. year. We we're talking about the year two thousand, not the year. Um, you know, like this is. Yeah, yeah. Where you have like these problems. Yeah, yeah. 
so you started, you got a job afterwards. Did you work at the same company or? Actually, after I finished the three years, I needed a very long holiday. That meant there was time for me to just see more, see, not really the world, but at least Europe. So I went traveling for on and off for maybe three years, four years. On and off means still working in Switzerland to a certain degree. What did you work in Switzerland? Like, who takes you for, you know, on and off stuff? Every, yeah, that's a good question. But I somehow knew someone who, knows, who knew someone and I could go there and work in a, in a warehouse from a sport, from a company that produces sports equipment. And obviously I was really good at that stuff. It was very easy. People who worked part-time there, they, went, they came and go, came and go. So for me, it was easy to do the job. They kind of promoted me very fast inside there, but I was always like, you know what? I go now, see you in three months. Hmm. And every time I came back, I made a call and they made sure they can find something for me to do. I think working in an office gets a lot of, gets a lot of flack and a lot of people automatically assume it's a terrible existence, but I work in an office and I'm quite happy with it, you know? I mean, I've written about it before, I blogged about it, and I have a lot of friends who are digital nomads, you know, who work from their computer all around the world and just kind of professional travelers, so. I don't know, I really think it's a matter of perspective. Um, and my, my blog about it was that I work in a cool office with coworkers who are from all over the world, many different cultures, and I find it sort of mentally uh, stimulating and interesting, and I learn a lot. You know, it's not the most exciting existence in the world, but but I, th I think I think it gets a bit of a short stick, and uh, people automatically assume it's a dead end. When for some people it isn't. So, yeah. but obviously for you, it was sort of a, a wake up call. Yeah, I had to do it. You know, it was like, what do you want to do after school? I had no idea. Okay, just do something that you get a degree, and that's why I did it. So that was not really funny, but so I learned I learned some stuff for sure. So you said um, in the years following your apprenticeship, it's like life was was without perspective. Uh, at she, the she end, job. at least. The first says only party, and you were physically weak. Well, I still did not start the martial arts thing, but it was still in my head, uh, even if it's ten years later you now. You watched it. You watched the kicks, Kickstarter, you know, kick time. No, but no. I watched uh, on Eurosport K1. What's that? K1 is a. Uh, it's kind of a kickboxing, Muay Thai style fighting sport. It was very big in Japan back then, and it was always on Eurosport. Eurosport so is like the European or German ESPN? I would say German, yeah. yeah I think it's a Eurosport. Eurosport. Okay. Eurosport. But I didn't do anything. I, yeah, like you said, I went, I went to a lot of parties, lots of traveling. And then you said... And then the Swiss in you came out. You're like, I am physically weak. I have to change that. Yeah, I would say be also because it started to make me mentally tired of everything. Even if I enjoyed what I was doing, I had lots of friends all over Europe. I was bored of everything. And I had to change it. And I had a friend who used to do some... I think some kind of kung fu somewhere for a few moments at least. And he and I grabbed him and said, hey, you teach me some stuff. 
And that's originally where everything started. We were in the basement, we had one boxing bag, he showed me some kicks. I kicked a few times in that bag, I was very exhausted. And I know I need to do more. Moving helped me a lot, physically and mentally. So you moved. Exactly. Where do you move? In that basement. Wait, you moved into his basement? No, no I, I move, <laughs> moving in terms of your. I move my body. Okay. I'm not just sitting in a train, going around Europe, going to parties, being hangover, nothing to do, watching, watch around. So I had to physically move, do some stuff. Okay, but then you actually decided, okay, I like this hitting a bag thing. I liked it. And you decided you want more. I want more and I didn't really know what. And what did you do? Um, I was at one of these parties again and someone told me about the club where they're teaching Muay Thai for free in Zurich. What's, I think what's, two, it, what's a catch? Two times nothing. It's just not very professional. It's just people who train in, in a club. They made some kind of a smaller underground club and teach it for free to the kids who were there. So you went to Zurich Fight Club? It didn't call it Zurich Fight Club, but I went there. Yeah, yeah. We all know the first rule of Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, I, I went there and I liked it so much that I went back every single time for a few months. What did you like about it? Like just the fact that it was so different from your existence before? Was it, did you just sort of connect with the physicality of it? Was the mental concentration? Some of my friends in the Muay Thai say it's much like uh, meditation for them. You know, they just, they concentrate on something so hard that it, it sort of takes their mind and body to a different level, a different place. I think the meditation slash focus part came later. There it was more like being tired of actually doing something and that felt so good. And I knew that it made me stronger. So it made me more confident and I felt better immediately. But I was sore for four days maybe after the first of these trainings. It was unbelievable. What happened then? Next day I went back to work. I was working at the same company. I walked around. Sore pain, but I felt better than ever. And I knew, okay, two or three days later when the next training was, I go back there. And I did it. And one day that was not enough for you. You had defeated every other person at Zurich Fight Club. No, it's actually a... There is a club <laughs> called Fight Club, and it was not this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I know just how you feel. Like yesterday, I, I nearly touched my toes when I stretched. So I walked around the office in pain for a couple of days, so... I really understand where you're, where you're going from. I, I also hurt my back reaching for the remote control last week, so I get it, man. I get it. You also got it. You said, I need to do more of this. I need to do more of this. And I heard from many people that traveling Asia is very cool. So at one point in my head, there was a connection. Asia, where do you want to go in Asia? And all this boxing stuff. Thai boxing, Asia, Thailand, well, just go to Thailand and train there. And I just bought a flight ticket and left. You bought a, you bought a one-way ticket? No, that was my first three months with the tourist visa Thailand trip. Uh, don't, you, don't you wish you had bought a one-way ticket? Because now you could say, I just went and bought a one-way ticket. 
No, I was too scared of they didn't give me a visa, so I bought a return ticket. Oh, so Swiss. Yeah, of course. <laughs> very, very. So, okay, so you started coming to Thailand for months at a time, training. Where did you, like, three months, yeah. Three months at a time, and then back to Switzerland. Back to Switzerland after, and... Save up money. Exactly. I knew immediately, whoa, I need more of that, because I also... I did my first fight in that period, and I knew that it makes you so much better. Wait, you, you, you trained for three months in Thailand, and then you're like, okay, it's on, like you're in Lumpini. No, 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 far away from Lumpini, but it, it, it's on in Thailand very fast for every foreigner who comes here. If you're a little bit good, they want you to fight. It's part of the experience... I mean, what do you mean a little bit good? You get trashed up? No, or no, like, no. Or do they put you together with like a seven-year-old kid? Or like, I mean... Not a seven-year-old. The first fight, mostly, they put you up with more... They call... As a joke, we all called him like the tuk-tuk driver guy. So the guy may had some Muay Thai experience years ago before all the sangsum and all the smoking and all the other stuff. And he gets some money. And they also want, as part of the whole like Muay Thai tourism game, that you win because... If you get home smashed, you may never come back. But if you win, you may come back. And that's money. It's a business. So they set you up, say, we have an official fight against Somchai, the tuk-tuk driver. <laughs> and you're going to end him. Or Originally, they asked me, do you want to fight? And I say, no. And they, they told me that I'm actually quite good for the level I was. And I knew that because I was really, really ambitious and training a lot. And all the other foreigners who hang around in these camps, they were all the time fighting. And I was thinking, well, when they fight, I maybe can fight too. And then I said, yes, let's do it before I go home. Do you find that a lot of Muay Thai fighters have an ego that's able to easily be hooked by that? Like, that's an interesting, that's almost like a marketing ploy, right? Like, oh, we'll let him win a couple of easy fights and then he's into it. Like, does ego play a part in it? Yeah, and also because you know that fighting makes you better very fast. Especially if you lose against a slightly better guy. So you can be the best guy in training, in kicking the pads, in sparring, but it's not the same thing than if you actually stand in the ring and the other guy may kind of try to kill you. So it's kind of the real test. And you know it makes you better. Like literally. Not literally, but it can end up... I mean, it's not like a tennis game. It can, you can end up in the hospital for sure. Did you end up in the hospital? Um, I can say yes one time, but it's less dramatic than you think nowadays. Diarrhea or? No, broken hand. In Ow. a fight. No. Oh, you were hitting him so exactly. hard that you broke First his hand? First round, knockout, he went down and slept for a very long time. And when they put away my gloves and my, my hand wraps, it was swollen and painful. And I had to go to the... The Thai people said, oh, no, no, no problem. You just... Because it was the first round. You come back... Yeah, you can still drive a tuk-tuk. <laughs> now you come back on Monday, train again and fight next Saturday. And there was a good friend of mine, a foreigner. He was like, no, look at your hand. I drive you to the hospital. We went there, x-ray broken. Okay, out for three months. Wow. Did you feel like... Did you, come on, you felt proud, right? Actually not, because I, was, I better not won by knockout and were able to train for three months. But come on, you hit someone so hard that you broke your hand. Maybe, maybe I hit him stupid. That's why I broke my hand. <laughs> is is, is that such a thing? I like, is it like if you hit someone stupidly that you break your hand? I would say 
there are certain possibilities that I didn't really make my fist strong enough and I hit him straight on top of his head, which is the same thing like he would punch a wall. I imagine this, like, imagine, like, after a Muay Thai fight, there would be, like, uh, you know, like, in a company, like, Greg, he's off working in an office, and uh, you have these 360-degree feedbacks where everybody gives you, like, feedback on what you could improve, and your opponent just sits there, and like, yeah, you know, remember that time where you, like, knocked me the fuck out in the first round? I think you could have made a stronger fist. It would be good, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, you kept doing that, and... Um, Like, did you? What was your plan? Do you? Did you? Did you think you, that would you would become a career boxer or like? No, not really. I mean, I was way too old for Thailand. I would say I I was pretty good for the level, for that level I was. But that was below Bangkok high end level. I was okay for fighting in the north of Thailand and a little bit in the south. But that was it. And that was no... Against the tuk-tuk drivers. No, no, no. The tuk-tuk driver stuff, that was just the first few... For the third fight, I, got, I, had to f I remember that. That guy smashed me hard. I was bleeding out of my nose. He was a motorcycle? No, he was really, really good. Because there is no match up there. It's like, well, you fight the guy. How, how heavy are you? I said, yeah. Back then, I was like, less. I was like... 57 they say oh around 60 and the other guys around 60 that can be five kilos different and they give you uh, there's a lot of like younger kids let's say 18 in my weight class here and some of them are really good and some of them are scared of you so sometimes you win by knockout sometimes they smash you and you can do anything so i had both all the time do you feel bad if you knock someone out i mean or do you feel like Is this is primal uh, yeah no I was a I thought it's a sport it's clear what can happen for both I was more I would say I, I'm more the guy who was not very happy when I like kind of hurt them but they hurt you so you hurt back and when I not when I when I saw clearly that my opponent is scared of me because he may be younger then I just tried to finish it fast. So you, if, if it looks scared, you punch them really hard. <laughs> no, it was that. I mean, you you see that they sometimes go down and it hurt them, but they, if they would, they could come back up, but they stay there. The referee stops them over. That also touches on what we were talking about earlier, right? Like it's a lot of it is psychological, a lot of it is physical, right? Exactly. Do you ever? What works for you when you try to intimidate someone, an opponent? Do you try to intimidate them psychologically? No, I think I was more the guy who were like focusing on my own technique and I know I'm, I trusted myself that I'm good enough. And I always waited what the other guys are doing. I was, for example, never the guy who started throwing elbows because I thought elbows are really nasty and they give nasty cuts in the face. So is there like a thing like who throws the first elbow? I'm not sure if that thing is in my head or if that's actually real, but I never throw it. And if the guy starts... I do it also. But if he never started, I didn't do it. I was not really happy or proud of hurting them. But every I, I had to fight because training for so long and you don't fight doesn't make any sense after one point also. So you just keep fighting, you have something to do. Two months later, or one month later, you have the next fight. You can focus on that. For you, that was like this whole procedure of training and fighting. Was that a bit of an period of personal growth 
I would say yes, and it also, it, I mean, it, now it also helped me to find something to do that I can stop being bored and without perspective at home. And Muay Thai helps a lot of people which don't really know what they want because you have to go 100% or it doesn't work. Uh, how does it? How, I mean, you hit other people or they hit you. Um, what's the lesson? It works in terms of you focus so much on it, you don't care about anything else anymore. So I met people... How is that, that a good thing? It's a good thing in terms of if you have problems, whatever they are. I, I met so many people in that time. They had problems in terms of drugs or whatever. And they focus so much on that sport, they changed their life completely. They just didn't have the time to hang out with No, because it anymore. gets so serious in your head. You want to fight, you want to be the best. You like the training. It does really good for you physically and mentally. So you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. So you don't go out, but you sleep early? or Well, during the trainings... I mean, in Thailand, Muay Thai is not... It's a crazy lifestyle, I would say. You're going out... If you go out, you go out hard, for sure. You drink a lot. Every Saturday... You, you train from Monday to Saturday twice per day and Sunday is off. So every Saturday night we were going out and drinking so much that you feel still sick in the Monday morning eight kilometers run. So there's a balance there. It's not so serious like you think it is, but you train all the time. Until you have a fight and then you have to stop drinking for sure. So you have, you're in this Muay Thai gym on an, in the middle in north somewhere on Saturday night. You all go out and it's like, what, it's like... 30 testosterone no, 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 no. dudes and um, lots of or skinny Thai kids and <laughs> like Muay Thai in Thailand is not so much not the same like in Europe it's not so much you need to be big and full of muscles you have here the best Muay Thai fighters here are the farmer kids who come from eastern Thailand so there's no macho attitude and big testosterone guys at least where I was there are some for sure but not that many in my opinion so how has Muay Thai changed you or your life for the better? First of all, it gave me something to do and it helped me physically to get stronger because I felt so weak. And it kind of opened me the path for a career also at the end of the day. Because from the moment I started Muay Thai, I know sooner or later I need to work like for real. The lifestyle, the traveling lifestyle between going home to Switzerland, work a little bit, come to Thailand, train for a year, go home, work a little bit. It's fun for the moment, but it does not last forever. Thailand's obviously the place where people come to when they want to travel and learn Muay Thai. Mom, what's your advice to someone who is coming over here? How do they find a good gym, a reputable gym, a good place to train? I'm, ass I'm assuming, I know nothing about it, but I'm assuming that there's probably some places out there who are just in it for the quick turnover and the money. That's a very interesting question. It's also difficult to answer. I would say it kind of depends on the level the person is and on the financial situation. Because training, for example, in Bangkok is way, can be way more expensive than training up in the north. We're talking about two, three times as much per month. How much? Back then, in, in when I trained in Chiang Mai, we had 
or the, the new people who came, they had to pay 8,000 baht, if I remember correctly, for one month of training twice per day. That didn't include anything, just the training. And you could rent a room, which they organized you walking distance from the gym for another 3,000 baht per month. And then you could eat around there locally. And I would say 20,000 baht per month, you can live there okay, because you don't do anything, just Muay Thai and drink some beers on Saturday night. That's, that sounds pretty cheap. But that was also five, six years ago. It may right. have changed a little bit. Okay. In Bangkok, you can spend maybe 20,000 baht just for the training. Yeah. And a lot. Yeah. They, the rent will be higher. The food will be more expensive. If you go out here, it will be way more expensive than in Northern Thailand. I guess also a part of it is just doing your research and getting to know people online. Now there's social media, there's probably all kinds of Facebook groups and of course, yeah, who sure. knows what else, blogs and websites and stuff. So it's probably much easier now than it is than it was when you started. When I started, there was one website which was very, very big. I checked it a while ago and it seemed like kind of not so strong anymore. And there they reviewed all the camps. What's it called? It's called MuayThailand.com. And they had reviews about all the camps. So when I was in the position, I know I go to Thailand, I needed a camp. Bangkok was a no-go because I didn't want to hang out in this big smog city. And I also didn't have so much money. And people told me that there is a place called Pai in Mehong Song district, which is very easy and laid back and you can easy be there, no stress. And I saw online that on that website that they had a Muay Thai camp and the reviews were really, really good. And I thought, well, let's just try it, go there. And I really liked it and I, they still there and it was one, it, they're one of the best trainers I ever had anywhere in Thailand, especially if you are more of a beginner because they can actually teach you stuff. Cool. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. And uh, so if anybody wants to try that out for themselves, they can. But you not only did you... I mean, and for me, that's maybe uh, uh, one of the m more impressive feats is that you not only turned this Muay Thai into like a physical self-growth and just like a personal mission, but it also started your professional career. Exactly. How? One time, during a training session with a big foreigner guy, we did some clinching and he kneed me pretty hard into the ribs. And it hurt it, but I didn't stop because I thought if I can finish that clinching session with that guy, I can easily survive the, the smaller Thai guys which I was fighting. And then at that level, I, f I lost many times and the kids I fought were kind of good already. So these ribs, they never really healed. There was pain in my ribs for more than a year, I would say. I did a long break, but trained again, fight again. And I had to go back to Switzerland once, and I thought, well, now it may be the time to check it proper. And did an MRI. And the doctor told me I broke two ribs, two pair of ribs. I, they, one healed together, the other one not. They will never heal again. So he gave me two solutions. Just leave it, and it will always hurt. And it hurt it during that time. I felt it during work. And the other option is make a small surgery. So I did this small surgery. And I kind of knew that having a small metal plate in your ribs and in Thailand, they all the time kick you in, in that area that may not work. And I had this friend 
I met in that Muay Thai camp in Pai, who told me about there is a possibility to make personal trainer certifications, like international ones from the US in Bangkok. Just do that one. I had not really an idea what that means because I didn't hang out that much in gyms. I trained a little bit in that one gym in Chiang Mai, but no idea. But it sounded good. Yeah, well, personal trainer means I can just hang out in a gym all day. And <laughs> that's pretty much what the personal trainers do that I usually see. But usually they have to have their phone out and do WhatsApp while there's a guy next to them on the machine. That's pretty much the guys I saw in that gym in Chiang Mai. And I... My mom actually, she paid me that like thousand dollars certificate, like the fee for that school, because I was working in Switzerland and the company who hired us went bankrupt and they owed me a few thousand, few thousand dollars. So she kind of gave me that money and a few other friends from the company I worked that they lent me some money, which they got it back. Everybody got everything back later, but. How much had to, do you have to borrow? Um, I ha obviously, they gave me the money they had. I was the only guy who had something serious to do. I was in Bangkok already. The company went bankrupt, so they gave me some. And I borrowed another two or three thousand dollars, I would say, in total. Then I went to that school. I opened the personal trainer manual and I was like, whoa, that's way more heavy than I thought it is. There was lots of stuff inside that, no idea. You have to stand in a certain way while you have your phone in your hand or <laughs> what's... One of the things is you do not have a phone in your hand. That stays pretty early there. And all these things I never heard of, biomechanics, biochemistry, all that kind of stuff. How long, how long did it take to become a certified trainer and how much did it cost you in total? I would say a standard personal trainer I paid around a thousand dollars for that school fee, which they prepare you for the test. That's what they're doing. And you have to pay another two or three hundred dollars for the actual certification. So you take this money and obviously then the living costs, it takes you like three or four months of, at least for me it was full-time studying because everything was in English. Three months full-time studying. All day long and a little bit of Muay Thai still here in Bangkok in the afternoon, but just for fun at that level. At least I had to do that because in the problem I struggled with English a lot. And then you got your professional trainer certification. Yeah, then you get a, then you have to make a test, but the test is just theory. Like do you have to do a practical exam as well? Like no. That's pretty uh, that's kind of weird. I think that's an industry standard. It's just a a test multiple choice. Or maybe oh. it's an American thing, I don't know. So there's not like a minimum amount of push-ups you need to do or anything like that? No, but that's originally what I thought, that I have to do some, <laughs> some heavy back squats or something, but no. So wait, you can be a 250-pound guy and become a personal trainer? You can actually never, ever lift anything, theoretically, and become a personal trainer. What did the per I mean, I don't want to speak bad now against these certifications and anything, because it helps you. It helps you a lot to understand what you have to do, and especially it helps you to teach things you do not do in terms of like injuring people, etc. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it, in my opinion. If you want to go there, I think it's very, very worth it because you get all the basic knowledge for any, everything. And that actually led to an actual legitimate, as in you have a work permit job. Exactly, but I did another certification later also. I was at, at, when I did the first one, 
I realized I like studying. I actually, maybe that was the first time in my life which I kind of fell in love with studying. I just read so much all day long in the internet because, and the field was so big, there was so much to learn. And at the same place, they offered a way more maybe complicated or intensive certification, which is also very high ranked in the personal training and strength and conditioning field. And I just Again, signed. costs and time? Same. Same amount of months, same amount of money. But oh, so at this point, you're six months trained. I right? had a two months break in the middle, which I used for reading some books, which I thought may help me for the second course, because that was really intensive and I did not have the certain type of practical knowledge you should have to pass these tests. So I studied just a lot. Okay. Um, so that actually, once you had that, you could get a job exactly. in Bangkok exactly. as a personal trainer yes. in a gym here, training people mm -hmm. with a work permit and a salary and a salary, making a living after having been a Muay Thai exactly. guy. So now you are at a place called Aspire Gym, right? Exactly, at the Asok intersection. Okay, and um, people can book you there. Exactly. And profit from your Swiss-style training methods. I mean, I'm, I mean, people obviously in the podcast can't see this, but um, Jamal has written down his own resume that he keeps on his phone to chronologically keep track of his life and to be able to relate all that without having to double-check. He's very well prepared. Because I know Carsten, and I know he will ask me things with numbers... And I can't remember any of them. <laughs> when did I start at what year? So I thought, well, I'm smart enough for that. So I write down, okay, when did I come to Thailand? How many years did it took me to get certified, etc.? I did it specifically for you for today. You like numbers, right? I remember that part. So that's, that's the German-Swiss part of the podcast. And we have the Canadian along, so we're polite to each other. Okay, cool. So we'll put that in the show notes as well in case somebody wants to book a trial session for with sure. you. Cool. So I think I'm very fortunate for that kind of position. It seems there are not a lot of possibilities for foreigners working in this field in that city. But it's not as easy as some people might think, right? Like you see someone just standing in front of someone, spotting them as they do a bench press or something, but there's a lot that goes into it. Months and months and months and months of training, study. It's not just the months of study. You drew on years of experience as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Personal experience. And I'm still pretty new. I just spent a lot of time in researching and studying. But when I... The people I read things or watching videos, it sometimes depresses me a little bit because they know so much stuff. We're speaking about people who have 30 years plus ex more experience. You can imagine what that means. So, of course, it helps me to understand more and bring me further, but it also it makes me depressed. There's so much knowledge I want to know also. But you are now developing that knowledge, and you are helping other people uh, develop that knowledge as well, like you're training these people. Can you just really quick um, tell us, how did you actually find that job? I knew some. Actually, I knew someone who worked there, but I saw him on the street walking when I went for a run into the park. I actually wrote an email to that gym two years ago because I read on the website that they ha want to hire people, but then the answer was no. 
So I met that guy which answered that email back then and he asked me, how's it going? How's the studying going? And I said, very well. And he offered me if I want to come there and have a talk. And that's what I did. And then the offer came. Coincidences, connections. It's all who you know. But it was, I think I was very lucky in terms of just meet him outside by walking around. Uh, so he's the guy who hires the personal trainers? Mm, maybe back then a little bit. Not really. Okay. It was more like we saw each other at a conference once from at the fitness trainer conference, talked a little bit. Okay. Um, thank you very much for uh, meeting us tonight and um, imbibing some brewed beverage that certainly contains quite a few carbohydrates. I was very... Um, that's okay. That's uh, gains. You have to see it like that. It's gains. Okay. I was also considerate in you know, uh, selecting an option that contains less carbohydrates. There's something like low, low carb yeah. beer or something, no? This, this oh, is really? This is, this is I the good ask. Oh, wait, no, we're not drinking alcohol here on the show, right? Right, this is just sparkling uh, water. Yeah, we haven't quite figured the legal aspect out of that, so until then we'll pretend to be um, drinking tea or coffee or root beer or... Anyway, so this is a Filipino brand of brew that we're drinking here. And um, Anyway, so thank you very much for making it out tonight. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, man. Good to have you on the show and good to meet you. Thank you. Give us something to uh, give me something to think about, aspire to, and work towards. Yeah, I think you and me we will meet sooner or later there on the team floor, not? Whoa! Challenge has been issued. Okay, and my challenge to you guys is to listen in to next week's or wait next month's. Oh man, now I, now I set a time frame. Man, now I've set myself up. Okay, listen to the next episode here. We're looking forward to having you again. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs>